First Peter chapter number two. First Peter chapter number two. I love how the Lord lined up the music tonight. All praise songs, all lifting up the name of Jesus. It's going to be right on subject tonight. First Peter chapter number two. When you find first Peter chapter number two, find verse number nine and stand with me when you find that. We're going to read our text verses first. Then we're going to go back and look at another text for our introduction tonight. Peter writes here and he says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray as we preach on this thought. Show forth the praise. Show forth the praise. The praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your man, Peter, that was so much like me and failed you in so many ways, but was able to finish strong in his ministry and pin these words to Christians who were enduring great persecution. God, as we know, in the days ahead, uh, the church by and large has fallen by the wayside and this persecution may come to our doorstep one day. God, I pray that we never short you on praise tonight. I pray that you fill me, get you out, get me out of your way. Speak to this thy people as only you know how. I ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. By introduction tonight, we're actually going to go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and look at some verses there as well. Um, 1 Peter was written by Peter, of course, and it was written uh, in a time around A.D. 60. And it was written to Christians that were scattered throughout five provinces in Asia Minor. It would be modern day Turkey. And th these were, uh, this was a letter written to be passed throughout those churches in that area. Uh, and it would make up modern day Turkey. And he wrote to a people a group of Christians, a group of believers uh, that were beginning to endure extreme persecution by the Roman Empire. And um, the, uh, the, the, the Christianity uh, that we know today had began to spread. And we know in the book of Acts and we see all those wonderful things that, that the Holy Spirit was doing and working in those churches there. And it began to spread and grow outside the bonds and the oppression of the Jewish people that were the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were trying to oppress it. And now it had grown into these provinces of Asia Minor that would now uh, be falling under the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire. And these uh, Christians had turned the world upside down and, and people had started to worship Jesus and people had to start being unashamed of Jesus and in a place like Rome and an empire at Rome that worshiped Caesar and worshiped many other false idols and false gods. This was begin, beginning to become a problem with the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire did what the Roman Empire does best. And that is to uh, kill and destroy anybody who opposes them. So you would start to see churches here beginning to suffer extreme persecution. People who were naming the name of Christ there under Roman rule would be arrested or even killed for their belief if they did not renounce the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the worst of the persecution that they would endure had not even begun to get on the scene. But Peter was challenged by Christ in Christ's final days on the ministry to strengthen the brethren, to be there for the sheep, to be there for the believers. And we see Peter fulfilling his calling by Jesus here, writing the book of first Peter to these believers that were about to uh, endure extreme persecution. He wrote words to a no doubt terrified group of believers. These were people who had just met Jesus, who their lives had been changed. They knew they had a savior. They knew they were going to spend eternity in heaven, but they were waiting on every word from these apostles, from these disciples that were writing letters, everything that they would have wrote 
They would have been waiting on every word we're about to read. The words that are about to come to your ears would have been the comfort that they needed in this time. It would have been the place where they were so terrified of what was going on around them. They would have been waiting to hear from the preacher, waiting to look to the word of God for comfort, as should we here tonight. First Peter chapter number one. In verse number one, we're going to read the whole text as an introduction just to give you an idea of exactly how Peter is writing to this people. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which hath according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time where ye greatly rejoice through now though now for a season if need be ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth though it be tried with fire might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ whom having not seen ye love and whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls you see Peter writing here to these believers that were scared these believers who were under persecution and he's not leading into this letter very negative is he He's not coming and saying, oh, woe is you. Woe is me. We are a defeated people. We are under Roman oppression. We are under Roman rule. You're under persecution. No, if you could read that nine verses and something inside of you not begin to turn and something inside of you not begin to shout when you think about the fact that we have been bought, that we have been saved, that we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter's not very being negative here tonight, but he is pointing out some truths here by introduction. Number one, he says, you're scattered. You're scattered in verse number one. He said to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus and those other provinces there in Asia Minor, strangers feeling all alone. These weren't, uh, he was not writing this letter to one central location with thousands of believers. These people he was writing to were scattered all about a large area. And sometimes they may have felt like that one little city set upon a hill. They might've felt like that one little Baptist church on Lakeview Drive that was trying to do things God's way. They might've felt like that one little Baptist church that was trying to minister to the community around them. They might've felt that, like that one Christian that was at that company, that one young Christian that was at that school, that one young teacher that was trying to teach things God's way. And they may have felt like they were alone. They were scattered. They were sanctified. Look at verse number two. He doesn't stop there. He's so positive in his his wording tonight. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctification of the Spirit. He said, you guys are a people that have been washed. You have been cleaned by the Spirit, able to walk in obedience to the Lord. You see, they lived in a place that was utterly and desperately wicked. We think that we have laws contrary to the Word of God now in the United States of America. Yes, we do. They, there are laws that are being passed every day that are evil. However, during the times of the Roman Empire, the things that we think are just terrible and atrocious today during the Roman Empire were just as bad, if not worse. There was adultery that was in 
encouraged. There was polygamy that was encouraged. Homosexuality was praised and worshipped. There were uh, people walking around clothless and naked in the streets. There were people doing things that were so abominable in the Roman Empire. But yet Peter writes here to his people and he says, you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to be like the world around you. Praise be to God tonight that we don't have to do things the world's way. You're scattered. You're sanctified. You are secure. Look at verse number three with me. Blessed be the God and Lord, <coughs> the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are secure in here tonight. Peter said, no matter what comes your way, no matter what's going to come down the corner, come around the corner, no matter what trials and temptations may come at you, you are secure in your faith in Jesus Christ. And you endure these trials and tribulations because they bring you, bring honor and glory to the one who loves you the most. Yes, you may have to endure persecution. Yes, you may have to endure some things that don't make your flesh feel okay. Yes, you might have to go through some spells and times and seasons in your life where you question and say, God, why am I doing this? Peter says, let me go ahead and give you the answer now. You are secure. You are standing on the solid rock. You are in those things and Jesus is right there beside you and through those trials, through those temptations, you will get closer to God than you ever would have had you not gone through some of those things that the trial of your faith being much much more precious than gold. You are secure tonight. You are sincere tonight. Look at verse number six and verse number seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold. You endure these trials because they bring honor and glory and bring you closer to Jesus. And lastly, by introduction, you are saved. You are saved. Look at verse number eight, whom having not seen, he love and whoming thou no, you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I know we machine gun through those nine verses, but it was to get to this. He says, you are saved, church. You, although you live in a wicked time in 2022, although you live in a wicked community in 2022, although you live in a sin-cursed fallen world, you are saved saved. He then begins to spend the latter part of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two, exhorting the people unto holiness and to not give in to the Roman culture around him. He told them to seek the wisdom of the word of God, the letters that they would be receiving by inspiration of God through the apostles. And then he then turns to his instruction in our text verses tonight and chapter number two and verse number nine. And he says, if they're going to make it, they're going to need to be holy, of course, and they need to stay in the word, of course. But he didn't stop there. He told them something very specific in our, in our text verses tonight in verses 9 and 10 to show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness. A lot of churches, and I mean a lot of churches, get it right when it comes to living and acting and having a good Christian testimony as a church. A lot of churches get it right by preaching and teaching the inspired word of God, by preaching and teaching the Bible. But there's a lot of churches, and I truly believe with all my heart that the church by and large today is shorting God in the area of praise. When we go to church and we can't scream and shout and yell as loud as we do at our grandson's ball game, at our son's ball game, there's something wrong. When Peter is writing here to the 
the people there that are under such persecution, way more persecution than you and I probably have ever been through. Maybe some of those who've spent time in other countries for long periods of time, you may have seen a little persecution like they were going through. But here they were saying, yes, it's in Peter who spends so much time at the end of uh, chapter one and the beginning of verse two talking about holiness and living right and acting right and seeking after the wisdom of the word of God. But then he takes this time to remind them how important it is for them to praise the Lord. Because when Paul and Silas were in jail, they prayed and they sang praises to the Lord. And it was that action that began to change the circumstances around them. A lot of times in the prisons of this life, in the persecutions of this life, in the problems of this life, the only thing that's going to make a difference, it's not how righteous you can be. You can be sitting in your little living room, not doing nothing wrong, not sinning, not doing anything, but be as miserable as ever because you're not praising. You can be sitting in your office and reading your Bible and studying and doing everything you know to do and studying the word of God and receiving a little bit of joy. But if you're not praising them, you're missing out. Peter says, hey, it's one thing to live holy. It's another thing to read your Bible. But church, you're, if you're going to get through this, if you're going to endure what's going to have to come down the pipe, you are going to have to praise the Lord. And you look at this, this, this group of believers here and they are under such persecution and they, like me, would ask the question that I've asked, Praise him for what? For what? Look at all the problems that I have. Look at all the circumstances that I'm stuck in. Look at all the things in life that I have no control over that have come my way. Bless God. Praise him for what? Peter reminds them here in verse number nine. Number one, for changing their position. For changing their position. Look at verse number nine in the latter half. That you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Praise be unto God that he changed our position tonight. He removed us from darkness. John three nineteen says, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. People like you and I are fooled every single day into thinking that the darkness is the way to go, that the darkness is the place to live. Why? Because their deeds were evil, because it hides their sin. They think if they can stay in the dark long enough, if they can live in the dark long enough, people won't find out who they are on the inside. If they can walk in darkness long enough and be content in the darkness long enough, they may just slide by and God may not notice their sins. But God says, be sure your sins will find you out. Find you out. The word of God says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it's when we realize that, hey, the darkness isn't where we need to be. And we start searching, we start searching, we start wondering, or maybe even not. Maybe some of us were so far in the darkness, we begin to enjoy it. Maybe some of us were so far in the dark that we didn't even know we were in the dark until the glorious light of the gospel began to shine into your life and begin to shine into my life. Praise be unto God that he didn't leave us in the dark. Praise be unto God that he didn't let us wander in darkness for all eternity or cast us out into outer darkness for all eternity. But he sent the light of the glorious Son of God, sent the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into your life, into my life. We'll get back to praising him when we remember he changed our position. He didn't leave us in the dark. He called us into the glorious light of the gospel. He allowed us to come out into the light. He allowed our eyes to be opened. He allowed us to no longer wander in darkness. He changed our position from darkness to light. Peter's telling these believers, praise him for what, preacher? Praise him that you're not in the dark anymore. And then we look back and we see those who are still in the dark. 
God help them. God help them. But it gets better. He didn't just call us out of darkness into light. He gave us the light and made us the light and said, let your light so show shine. <laughs> let your light so shine. Amen. Amen. So that we can walk into the dark parts of life and we can walk to the dark areas that somebody's going through and bring the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to them. He put the light in me. He put the light in you so that you could shine, baby, shine. And the only way you're going to do that is if you praise God for changing your position. Because it gets hard to praise him when things aren't going so great. But you can always praise him for not leaving you in the dark where you belonged. Because that's where I belong. From a nobody to a somebody. Look at what he says in verse number 10. Changing his, their position. Which in times past were not a people. This word here is, is a, is a kind of generic Greek word. It means uh, race or nation or group of people. Who in times past, ye were nobody. Okay? These were not a, a, a Jerusalem area church. This was in Asia Minor. These would have been people that would have been Gentiles. These would have been people that would have been in our lineage. These were people that worshipped pagans and idols and different things. They weren't Jews that had a foundational knowledge of, of the Old Testament. No, these were people who were nobodies to God. They had never known Yahweh. They had never known Jehovah. They had never heard the name of the Lord. Yet they're saved. He's saying, you were a nobody. But praise God, he changed your position and he didn't change it to be the president. He didn't change it to be a politician. He didn't make you a king. He didn't make you a leader. He didn't make you. He made you a child of God tonight. Look at look at verse number 10. He says it, which in times past were not a people. You were nobody, but now are the people of God. Praise be to God that he changed our position from darkness to light, but he changed me from being a nobody to being somebody in his eyes. It doesn't matter what your boss thinks of you. You ought to be the best employee he has, but it doesn't matter what your friends think about you. You ought to be the best friend you could ever be. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. You ought to be the best person you can be, but God has already said you are a child of the King. He saw you on the cross of Calvary. He died for you. He changed your position from a nobody dead and dying and going to hell to a somebody that will spend eternity with him forever. Praise God. tonight. Changing our position. I'm out of time. We're on point one. Eight years old. I was eight years old. And I was blessed to have parents who knew Jesus. Still am blessed to have parents who know Jesus. We were having a little Bible study in our living room. There were times I was telling my wife the other day, y'all pray for my wife. She's not playing hooky, okay? She did not like the preacher tonight. Um, she's got uh, an infection in her eye. And have y'all ever seen the, it's a commercial break. Y'all ever seen the Goonies? You know, that guy with the big old swollen head, okay? Don't tell her I said that. That's what she looks like right now, okay? Uh, <clears throat> she went to the doctor. She's gonna get better. It's gonna be good. But when I was eight years old, I was telling my wife there were seasons and, you know, you have a working father and a working mother. Sometimes you'd go through seasons where you'd have Bible study every single night. And sometimes they'd fall off the wagon a little bit and then they'd get back on and they'd fall off the wagon. Me and my brother and sister would begin to joke, say, oh, we're going to do Bible study again. I wonder how long this time's going to last. OK, but eight years old, I'm in that living room and we're going through the book of Proverbs. And I don't remember what was the verse we were on or what was going on. But my dad began to 
talk about Proverbs and he started talking about the difference and how it applies for a lost person and how it applies if you're saved. And if you're saved, Proverbs is challenging you to, to do this. And if you're saved, Proverbs is challenging you to do this. And if you're saved, Proverbs is instructing you to do this. And, and I kept sitting, I'm sitting there going, what is he talking about? And the Holy Spirit began to convict my heart and go, you need to be saved. You want to understand what it means to be saved. You need to be saved. I remember as an eight-year-old little boy, I cut him off and I said, Daddy, stop. What are you talking about? How do I get saved? Because you keep telling me all these promises of God and all these blessings of God. You know what I was when I was that eight-year-old little boy? I was a nobody. I was somebody on the side of a road that no church bus would have ran down. I was in a house that you'd have been scared and terrified to knock on the door because of how old and the decrepit the house was. I'd have been that house and those kids that were wild and rebellious. I'd have been the ones with the behavior problems. I was the one that the teacher told the parents, get him out of here. He's got a problem. He's got ADHD. He's got ADD. We can't handle him. I was that kid. I was the one. I was the nobody. But God walked right in the middle of that little living room and he used my little daddy and he used my little mommy and he used the word of God to say, save him, Lord. Save him, Lord. And at eight years old, I was made a somebody in the eyes of God. We can always praise him for changing our position. Praise him for not just changing their position, for changing their promise. Changing their promise. Look at verse number 10. But are now the people of God which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. What's he talking about there? For the wages of sin is death. That's the promise we had. That's the promise we were living in that the wages of our sins would be death. You and I were born sinners by birth and by choice. We chose every single day to rebel against the God who created us. And we had a promise that the wages of those sins would be death. But Peter reminds them and he reminds you that there's a but in that verse. For the wages of sin is death. We were promised no mercy. We were promised no escape. We were promised no way around damnation. We were hopeless and lost in the consequences of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He said you were a people who had no mercy. You were a people who were destined for hell. You were a people who had no chance of escape. But the Lord God who created you, who knows your name, who knows every hair on your head, who knows everything about you, who knows the pain and the suffering you've gone through, who knows what you've got to face tomorrow at work, who knows what you've got to face tomorrow at the house, who knows what mommy's doing, who knows what daddy's doing, who knows what those kids are doing, who knows what those grandkids are doing. That's the God who died for you and gave you eternal life. That's who you should be praising church for changing their promise. Lastly, changing their priests. Look back to verse number nine. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Chosen. You are a chosen generation. There are many false prophets that would teach that this verse is talking about predestination and telling these people they're saying, these people they're not. No, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But once you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus, you're His. You're chosen. You're with Him forever and ever. And Jesus said, no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. They were chosen. They were royal. Christians in this area were, they were not likely converted Jews, but they were converted pagans, as we talked about earlier. They would have depended on idols. 
They would have depended on, on Roman, Roman pagan leaders or, or Roman uh, governments themselves to intercede with God on their behalf. Later on in the Roman Empire, and maybe even creeping in here, Caesar was God. Caesar was God. There was no God save Caesar. You didn't need to worship anything else. You have Caesar. But in this time, they were still in the mythology stage of their civilization and they would may have worshiped this God or that God or a fertility God or a sun God or this God or that God. And they would have had to go in their, in their little closets and got out their little statues. They would have had to go in their little areas and, and go to their local leaders and, and, and say, you know, this is what I feel in my heart. This is what's going on. I, I would need this or I would need that. It didn't stop with them. You saw uh, the Christians turning their whole world upside down. And they say, we cannot control these Christians. And they say, well, if we can't beat them, join them. And they form what is known as the Roman Catholic Church, where they made a cheap imitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they put somebody that they would be in charge of called the Pope and that they could manipulate with their, with their state and with their stature. And that they could tr trick people into thinking that they needed a priest. They needed somebody. This hadn't happened here in their time. I'm not taking that out of context, but that they would need somebody to intercede with God on their behalf. But what's Peter remind them for the days to come? Ye are a chosen generation and you are a royal priesthood. You need no one save Jesus Christ to commune with God. He intercedes with you on your behalf. When you don't even know you need God, Jesus is praying for you. When you don't even know what battles you're about to come down the road, he is interceding on your behalf. He is there on your behalf. You have every right to come boldly to the throne room of grace and fall down before your father and ask whatever you need. Jesus said, you have not because you ask not. He changed their position. He changed their promise and he changed their priests. They no longer needed somebody from Rome to get them right with God. They no longer needed somebody from the Pharisees to get them right with God. They no longer needed a priest of the Catholic Church to get them right with God, even though that they hadn't brought that around yet. They only needed Jesus. Praise Him that you only need Him. Aren't you thankful that nothing concerning our eternity is up to man save the God-man, Jesus Christ? That as we sang during choir practice, that it is finished. Those who think you have to work to keep your salvation, I tell them they can't read. Because those are just three simple words that they don't understand. Praise Him that it is finished. That the battle is over. That Jesus is Lord. Praise God that He gave them access and He gave you and I access. So I know there are a lot of people in this room that have some battles they're going through right now, that have some issues going on at home right now, that have some issues with their family that they're extending right now, that have persecutions that are coming your way right now. You may be in your Bibles. You may be living the best life you know how to live, following Christ's guidance for your life. But sometimes we forget to praise him praise him. Give him the praise, the honor, and glory with everything that we have tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Peter. Thank you so much for him being inspired to write these words and challenging those Christians there in Asia Minor. God, I pray as we go our separate ways tonight into a lost and dying world that while we do our best to obey you and follow you in everything that we do. And we do our best to read and study and meditate on your word night and day. But God, I pray that we praise you. 
I pray that the people of Rossville, Georgia, here are people that go to Anchor Folk Baptist Church that are never short on praising God. I pray that they hear fathers that are praising God. I pray that they hear mothers that are praising God. I pray that they hear pastors and leadership that are praying God. Father, I pray that we praise you and we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory for everything you will do. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.